You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. So in New Zealand, back in the year 2004, a new celebrity emerged that we all needed. This celebrity was a sheep. This particular sheep that rose to fame uh, had escaped being shorn for six years. For six years, when it came time for the shepherd to gather the flock and then trim all the wool off the sheep, this sheep would go up and live in caves. And because of that, the wool on the sheep began to amass and get grody and just became massive until after six years, they were finally able to catch this sheep that had been living in caves and they saw how huge it was. I think we have a picture of it. And they lovingly named this sheep Shrek because it liked to live in caves on its own. I mean, look at that absolute unit of a sheep. Just bah, right? Like bah, bah. Finally, they were able to catch Shrek, which I think after six years, it wasn't too difficult at that point because he can hardly see, he can hardly move. They were able to capture the sheep and then they, they shorn it. I think that's how he shorned it. I don't know how, I'm not a shepherd. But they took the wool off of the sheep. They laid it out. We have a picture of that and you can see how big that wool was, how much this sheep was carrying. It was 60 pounds of wool. They went on to take that wool and made six large men's suits. So Matt came up here this morning wearing like six t-shirts. Imagine wearing six suits, right? Like you're not going to be able to get around. You're going to be able to like sit on the couch. Like it would be awful. And this was Shrek the sheep, how he was living. The moral of that story is that sheep are made to be in a flock. And we as humans are very similar Humans are made to be in community. And we see that all throughout the Bible, which is what we're going to talk about today. We're taking a break from the book of Mark. So if you've just gotten bored of Mark, good for you. Like you take a breather this morning, but don't worry, we'll be back to Mark in the weeks ahead. We're going to take one break to focus on the theme of community this morning. And so I want to just show you community throughout the Bible. And we're going to go quick this first part. All right. So buckle up. I know I talk fast already. I'm going to talk even faster. So if you're a note taker, just get ready. Here we go. The very first pages of the Bible, the very first pages of history, we see the need for community. God has created man, Adam. He set him up in a garden with rivers and food that can feed him everything he needs and things he doesn't even need. He talks about like gold and jewels laying around. Adam has all that he needs. But then Genesis 2.8 says, it is not good that the man should be alone. God says this, I will make a helper fit for him. So God brings about the animals to Adam. Adam names them all. But then after this whole process, it says, but there was not found a helper fit for him. Adam is lonely. Notice that before sin has entered the world, Adam is lonely. He's in the garden with God. He's got all the animals, but he is lonely. So God forms Eve out of the man's side. And when he sees Eve, he says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. It's as if he's saying, now I'm complete. Now I can function. Now I can thrive. We see in the first pages of history, God designed us before sin entered the world to need and be in relationship and community, relationship with God, relationship with others. And then we see that this trend continues all throughout the Old Testament. This need for community is highlighted. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament, there's three times that it's recorded in the Old Testament where people get on the brink of suicide, where they could be classified as suicidal, wanting to end their lives. All three of them happen with people that are in isolation. 
And so we get to Moses and Numbers. And in Moses, he's been leading this whole nation, all these thousands of people through the wilderness. They rely on them for their next move. Where are we going to go? Somebody asked Moses. They rely on him for their next meal. How are we going to eat? Somebody asked Moses. Moses is the one that is communicating to God, like in between them. Moses is at the top and he's become very isolated. You can maybe identify with this if you've ever led an organization or a team or a company. It can be heavy at the top, right? You find yourself alone. There's the pressure of, man, if I don't get this thing done, then my employees don't eat today. Their insurance might be whacked out. And all of it relies on you. There's great stress with it and few people that can understand and relate to that. So it becomes very isolating and lonely in leadership sometimes. This is where Moses has found himself. So Numbers 11, he cries out to God, says, I'm not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. Isolation leads to destruction. That's what Moses is experiencing right there. We fast forward to 1 Kings. We get to the prophet Elijah. Elijah has had to make some unpopular decisions, and now he is on the run for his life because he decided to obey after God. A drought came upon the land at his word, and then later on he destroys these prophets of a demonic idol. And so now, because of those unpopular decisions to follow God, Elijah is on the run for his life. Maybe you can identify with that. I know many of our teenagers can making unpopular decisions to follow Jesus that then shrinks their friend group or makes it feel like they are the only ones. I've had that conversation time and time again with the students in our youth group and in others where they said, my friends started doing this stuff. And so I just, it wasn't as easy to be friends with them anymore because they're doing that. So I can't hang out with them anymore. And I just feel like I'm the only one. And I often point out to them like, well, you're not the only one. We have a group, a youth group of a large amount of people. Many of them go to your school, but it feels like they're the only one. They feel isolated because of their decisions. So Elijah, he goes out alone into the wilderness, a day's journey. He sits under a tree and it says in 1 Kings 19.4, and he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. Angel comes, ministers to him, says, get up, Elijah, go further. Next, next few verses says, uh, he's talking to God again now on top of a mountain. And he tells him why he's upset. He says, the people of Israel forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now, some of that is true. They are seeking Elijah's life. Some people had been killed, but not all of this is true. And Elijah knows it. Because if we went back a chapter, Elijah runs into a guy named Obadiah. Obadiah was a prophet. Obadiah was a man who feared God. And it tells us in parentheses that Elijah, as he meets up with Obadiah, it says, Obadiah feared the, Lord, feared the Lord greatly. When Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Elijah is not the only one. And he knows it, but he feels like it because he's allowed himself to become isolated when a day's journey into the wilderness. Isolation leads to delusion. The longer we are on our own, the more we start believing these lies. We don't have people to talk us out of them. Then we see Jonah. Jonah, if we were to fast forward even more, this prophet, you know, the story gets eaten by the fish because he didn't want to go do what God told him to do in Nineveh. Finally, he's vomited out by the fish. One of the times vomit appears in the Bible, which I'd like as a youth pastor. He's vomited out by the fish. He goes to Nineveh. He preaches them the shortest and most successful sermon in history. 
Everybody repents. Everybody turns to God. But then afterwards, Jonah leaves the city. He goes up outside the city, sitting on a hill, like waiting and watching. And he just mopes around. And the Lord speaks to him. And the Lord says, what's your deal, Jonah? Jonah says this, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The reason he's moping around like this is because he wanted to see Nineveh, Israel's enemies, get destroyed. And God didn't do it. And so he's allowed himself to become isolated. It's curious that we don't see any like partners with Jonah. You know, Moses even had Aaron for a lot of the time, like all of this stuff. But Jonah, we never hear about like another guy being like, hey, Jonah, maybe it's a bad idea. Like after the storm and the fish ate you and all that stuff to not do what God says. He's become very isolated. And that isolation, isolation has led him to self-absorption. He's so obsessed with himself. He's become hateful towards other people. That's what isolation does to us. It can lead us to self-absorption. It can lead us to delusion. It can lead us to destruction. And so in these cases, the, the solution for this that God brings about, at least two out of three, the solution is community. For Jonah, the book just kind of ends abruptly. We're all like, what is that the end? Like, I don't know what happens with Jonah. I'd like to know. We don't get those details. But with Moses and Elijah, God's solution to both of these men who are ready to die, who want to end their lives because of the isolation that they're experiencing, God's solution to them is community. To Moses in Numbers, he says to gather 70 other men from the nation of Israel, leaders, spiritual men. And he says, I'll take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. God puts Moses in community, surrounds him with 70 other leaders, 70 elders. Elijah in 1 Kings on top of that mountain, God tells him, Elijah, here's what you're gonna do. Go do this other business, but most importantly, go find a guy named Elisha which is confusing because they have a similar name, but like they're going to hit it off, right? Elijah, Elisha. He says, go and find Elisha and train him up as a prophet in your place. So find your replacement. You're not going to do it on your own anymore. You're going to be in a relationship with somebody. You're going to mentor him. And we see that relationship unfold. And when Elijah is taken to heaven, Elisha deeply mourns the loss of his dear friend. God's solution for Moses and Elijah was community. So when we see people at the brink of ending it all, often it's isolation in the Old Testament. And often the solution is community. God brings them to community. There's only one person that we read about in the Bible that faces isolation and does well, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. He spends 40 days in the wilderness. But even that we see is quite trying, right? The devil comes at him, all this stuff happens, but at the end he is ministered to by angels. God surrounds him with community. Even Jesus, who could survive this isolation, sought community. He gathered 12 disciples to himself. He had three really close friends. Jesus sought community for himself. And then his disciples that he trained up after him, he trained them to be in community. If you were to look at Luke 10:1, he sends out the 72 to go to towns ahead of him, do all these miracles and things. He says, go by twos, go in pairs, take a buddy, don't go by yourself and go to the town and do this ministry because ministry alone is difficult he says, do it in community. Later on, before the end of Jesus's life in John 17, he prays four times that his followers, his disciples would be one, that we would be united, that we'd be together in community. This continues in the early church. We see in the early church, Peter and John are imprisoned. They've done a cool miracle in the temple and now they have to spend a night in the clink because of it. And then afterwards they get out, they run immediately to their group of other believers and they say, check out what happened. And they're not bummed by it. They're like, we were thrown in prison because of the word that we spoke and all this stuff. And nobody in that group is like, y'all crazy. 
Nobody's saying like, hey, maybe we need to lay low for a while so that that doesn't happen to all of us again. They start celebrating and praying together. And Acts 4.31 says, when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They were encouraged. Their ministry was confirmed. Community brought them stability. They were with a group of people united together. And so they knew we're not on the wrong path, even though it's scary. They had that stability, that foundation of community. Later, Paul, who we see on the road, he's blinded by the light. He has been killing Christians. He decides to change his life. His call to the mission field, when Paul is called to be a missionary, where he's supposed to go, it doesn't come from like a voice in the sky. It doesn't come from a burning bush. Here's how it happens in Acts 13, two through three. A group of believers had gathered together from Antioch. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, I want to repeat those, worshiping and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, set apart from me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. That's how Paul knew where he was to go. Community creates clarity. If you got TJ's story at the very beginning of the service, if you were late, I mean, community or isolation, self-absorption, whatever. But TJ talked about this community he had in a small group and how that helped him decide to follow and pursue youth ministry. And so that helped him have that clarity. Community creates clarity. I'm going to give us one more. After this, Paul, like the, towards the end of his life, he's made a decision to go back to Jerusalem and preach about Jesus there. It's a hotbed for violence against Christianity. And so he calls, before he does this, he calls some friends from Ephesus and he tells them his plan. And here's what it tells us, Acts 20. It says, when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. What a picture of community. For this guy who feels like he's marching to his grave, they surround him, they cry with him, they embrace him. Community creates sympathy. In Greek, the word sympathy, sim, is together. Pathos is feeling. So in sympathy means together feelings, Right? When we are feeling your feelings, just like the Harlow talk, man, that Christmas day was such a roller coaster for my family because we're like, oh, they're going to the hospital. The mom's about to have the baby. And then they found out that they couldn't have this baby. It was a roller coaster. And we had together feelings about that. We were with them. Isolation creates self-absorption, delusion, destruction. Community creates sympathy, clarity, and stability. Which do you want in your life? I, I got a secret to confess. I got halfway through writing this sermon and I started thinking to myself, this feels familiar. And so I looked back in my notes and I realized I preached this exact sermon or at least the first half of it almost a, a little more than a year and a half ago, which I usually let them gather more dust than that before I bring them back out again. But uh, January 4th or 5th, I think it was the first Sunday of January in 2020, I preached this exact sermon on community. And I thought to myself, like, well, if I don't remember it, certainly they don't remember it. And also, I mean, it was one of those, like, the first Sunday back after holidays, right? So be honest, a lot of y'all skipped, right? Because isolation creates uh, destruction. But I talked about this. Here's what's crazy is less than four months later, COVID hits big time. Less than four months later, we were not gathering in this building to have church together. I had talked about community. We had dreams of community, and it all got shut down. And our society was introduced to a new phrase called social distancing, which is an oxymoron, right? Like, has anybody talked about that? I haven't heard people talking about the idea that social distancing, that's an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense. We should have used different language for that. Like, we should have said, like, physical separation or just spread out, y'all. Like, but we needed social 
You need social, especially in times when you have to be more distant, especially in times of crisis. We needed social, but our society embarked on this grand experiment of what would happen if in a really stressful time, all of us just stayed home and didn't talk to each other. It was crazy. And so with this idea, this new phrase really just took a hit and we see social distancing going on. And I could show you stats. I could show you the articles, the studies from that year that shows the, the impact that made on us, that the, that the rise of anxiety and depression happened over 40% in our society. I could show you the stories about crisis hotlines and suicide prevention hotlines that had just a, a, a huge rise in calls that they almost couldn't handle. I could show you the stats and the studies, but we've quit believing in stats and studies, haven't we? Like, you can go find your other articles like, well, this one says it was good for us. Like, we just, we don't know anymore, right? So here's what I want to do show you is, is I want to show you my experience as a pastor, what I experienced at our church in that year of isolation. So early on in quarantine, I knew that the kids, they weren't going to connect with each other. I wanted to keep them connected with the group. So I started calling them, which teenagers don't know what it means when their phone rings, right? Like they, they're like, oh, it must be some weird app I downloaded. They didn't know. And so a lot of them just wouldn't answer. And then also, here's another thing, teenagers just don't use voicemail. Every time it's like this person's voicemail box is full. Bye. And they're like, oh, I can't even talk to him. So I'd try and text and be like, hey, I'd like, give me a call. And so the ones that I finally like, would try and connect with them and call with them, I started hearing the same things over and over and over again. These kids are sitting at home, and several of them are saying, I'm having a lot of trouble sleeping at night. Like, I just can't go to bed. When I lay down in bed, I can't sleep. And then they also say, in my anxiety, like I already kind of struggle with it a little bit, but it is shooting through the roof right now. And the people that I knew that hadn't been struggling with it, they're like, I'm starting to just struggle a little bit with anxiety which was crazy to me on the surface level because you would think that anxiety would come with all the things that happens usually during the school year, right? Like I got pressure on the test. I want to do well on the team. I got to see this person. Am I going to get a prom date? And all of that had shut down. All the things we think kids worry about had shut down, but anxiety that I saw among our group was going through the roof and they couldn't sleep. Now, maybe it's because they're in the midst of a pandemic. All of us had some of that, right? But I think a lot of that was exacerbated by the fact they were by themselves, that they were alone in the midst of a pandemic. That year, that, that kind of time of quarantine, year 2020, like before and after all that, I got more calls, had more discussions with people that were having thoughts of suicide or had made attempts at suicide in that year than I have in my entire ministry com career combined. It was off the charts. It was discouraging. It was depressing. It was scary. And I know a lot of it was complicated because we were in a hard and a, and a scary time. It's still a little bit scary, but I think all of that was multiplied because people were in isolation. Because we've become Shrek the sheep, right? We didn't ask to be, but now we got to hide up in this cave. And like anybody else feeling like Shrek the sheep after quarantine it was rough. Because we see that we'd miss sympathy, we'd miss clarity, we'd miss the stability of community. And so many of us began battling self-absorption, delusion, and destruction that comes with isolation. And so in the midst of that, you saw some of this on the video. My family, we'd been in a small group, and we kept meeting over Zoom for a time. But then finally, we got to a place where we're like, we just got to get together. Like, we're going insane. So like, can we hang out in somebody's backyard? And we started doing that. We started seeing each other again and started being able to talk about this. And it was a lifeline for me, my wife, and our family during that hard path of quarantine that we had other people. And yeah, sometimes we'd have to take a break with somebody get exposed to COVID or like we all better just not meet this week um, and that kind of stuff. But it was so huge for us. And so at the end of that, at the end of being able to minister to people in a new way that I had not ministered before as being a part of a small group, 
being ministered to in a way that doesn't always happen when you're a pastor. All of this afterwards, I thought, man, I want to see this duplicated at Discovery. I want to see this type of ministry all over our church. And it's so easy. There's books and books. I went to seminary and had a whole class on small groups. There's books and books and books on it. But man, I think it's way easier than all that because what we found at our group, we stopped doing studies long ago and just started talking and having coffee and letting our kids play together. And that was way better for all of us than any study through a book of the Bible. And here's why, because at the end of the night, no matter what we did, we'd all gather up and say, how can we pray for each other this week? And we'd have an opportunity to share about our needs, share about what's happening in the week. And then we'd follow up with each other throughout the week and say, hey, how'd that meeting go? You're gonna have that rough conversation. Did the test results come back? We're praying for you. And that was huge. And it was so simple. And I wanna see that multiplied across our church so that you all can experience that feeling of minister to, ministering to somebody else. Or you might think like, well, I'm no pastor. I'm no missionary. I can't do that stuff. Yes, you can. If you can pray for somebody, you can. If you can hang out with them, give them support, you can. I'd love to see that happen in mass at Discovery. And I know what you're thinking. Like when we talk about small groups, I know what you start to think. You start to think, oh, that might be boring. Or the last thing I need is another study. Like I can't keep up with the homework I've already got. You're going to add more to it. You might think, oh, it's going to be awkward. Like I'm going to have to talk about my feelings or have to talk about somebody else's feelings. Like I don't want any of that stuff. Here's my solution to all of those fears. Then don't. Don't let your group be that way. If you don't want to be in a group that is in a study that might add homework or something to your life, then find a different group. If you don't want to be in a place where you like have to share feelings, you don't feel comfortable with that, like, man, don't make that the focus. Have a different kind of group. It can be anything as long as you're gathered together with people and ending with that question, how can we pray for each other this week? So whatever you might think of that a small group is, and that's keeping you from being a small group, man, form a different type of small group. Let me tell you something revolutionary. Gentlemen, look at me, because I know dudes, a lot of times we hate like groups and talking about feelings and praying, like we hate that. Your fantasy football group could be a small group. Just at the end of it, all you gotta do, meet regularly at the end, be like, how can we pray for each other this week? And then keep up with that. And so then you tell the wife, like, I'm going to small group, when really it's fantasy football, right? It could be that with golf, it could be that with hunting, it could be whatever. Find yourself a group of men that you can be with and pray for like that. And then eventually you're going to find like, oh, I don't know what happened. But all of a sudden I started sharing my feelings and I hate that stuff. And then they were sharing and it was actually cool. And now we're praying for each other and it's just fantasy football. But really it's a small group. If you're looking for somewhere, you're like, I just, I'm dry spiritually. Like, I need a deeper study. We have those. We can provide those where you go through the book of the Bible. At the beginning of the summer, we had um, about 10-ish small groups. And I've worked all summer long to try and double that number. We've got about 20 small groups that will be launching in September. Some that are going to be launching in the beginning of the year. One that focuses on finance. One that's going to read through the whole Bible next year. So some are going to be starting kind of in waves. But here's the deal. We don't have enough yet. I want to have twice that number. I'd like to have 40 small groups at Discovery so that we could have 10 people in every small group. And these small groups are going to have some, some just really simple parameters that I want to go over. First, just meet regularly. If you can't do every week, I'd recommend every week. But if you can't do every week, try every other week. At least touch base, gather together physically once a month. Find a group where you can meet regularly. Do it where there is a leader and a host. That's what we're really striving for, that every small group would have a leader, whether you're finding a curriculum and teaching it or just you're the one that texts everybody, says, hey, we're getting coffee at Blackbird tonight. Find a leader, find a host. The host is the easiest job. You're just the person that would provide a space for that group. 
You can say, oh, it's my backyard. I got a new fire. We're gonna have a campfire tonight. Or it's my living room and then the kids can play downstairs in the basement. I'm making cookies. That's your only job as the host is just to be welcoming. Some of you I know have that gift because you've been super welcoming to me at Discovery. So those are our parameters. I'd like to see groups that meet regularly with a leader, with a host that are no more than 10 people. And that one's hard to do because I know already we got some groups that are bigger than that and that's cool. If we cheat a little bit, it's parameters, not laws. But I'd like a group of 10 people because at 10 people, you can have an easy text thread. At 10 people, you can keep up with one another's prayers. More than 10 people, you're gonna be spending all night saying, how can we pray for each other? More than 10 people, it gets hard to develop that community. And no matter what your group looks like, no matter what you do, the biggest thing is that at the end of that meeting, you would ask that question, how can we pray for one another? And then you follow it up. You could pray together there that night. Later in the week, I hope you continue to pray for each other. And I promise you, because I've seen it, that this can be life-changing for you, that this could pull you out of a dark place, that it could push you to a bright place, that it can help you. Even if you don't feel like you're having problems right now, you're like, man, I'm doing awesome right now. That's the kind of people we need in small groups, leading small groups to help others. But you also don't know what's up around the river bend, right? You don't know what might be waiting in your life that you're gonna have to walk through and you're not gonna wanna walk through it alone. You need other people around you. And the reality is with a church of our size, me and Matt and Raquel and Chris, we can't keep up with all the needs we have at Discovery. Our, our board of elders, it's still not enough people to keep up with your needs. We're not gonna know when somebody has an appointment or test results or a family member that's sick or in trouble, but your small group can. And then your small group can be the ones helping care for you. I wanna make sure that everyone in this church is cared for in that way. So here's where we really have needs is I need people stepping up as leaders, stepping up as hosts and saying, I can do that. It is the easiest ministry possible. A lot of you have been avoiding, like anytime we're like, hey, we need help in the children's area. And you're like, no way, kids, uh-uh. I'm like, I need help in the youth ministry area. You're like, I saw y'all in those slipping slides. I'm staying away. This is one that you can do, I promise. Because God will equip you to do it. But more than that, you're just hanging out with people. And so that is our call this morning. If we have a response time this morning, it focuses in on community, which is a very biblical concept. It focuses in on ministry, which again is a very biblical concept. And so what I've done is all over the building, on every other chair, there should be a small group card that you can put your information on. And if you filled one out before, I'm gonna ask you to fill it out again. I'd ask you to fill that out and then around the room in the back area, out in the connection point, there are buckets. I got buckets just like this. They're old like youth game buckets, so don't look or smell them too closely because you don't know what they've been used for before, but this morning we're using them for small groups. Fill out one of those cards and you'll see three buckets. One bucket is gonna say lead, one bucket is gonna say host, one bucket is gonna say join. If you find yourself in need of that community or even if you're like, I don't need it, but I hear that it's a good idea, fill out a card and pop it in that join bucket. If you feel God speaking to you and pulling you, saying, hey, you need to lead or host a group, pop your card in a lead or a host group. And I'll just get really honest with you. I've been praying that this morning, the cards we get, there's a 10 to one ratio, that for every 10 people that sign up to join, we have one leader, one host. And so if that prayer doesn't get answered, I'm not gonna be blaming God because God answers prayers. I'm gonna be asking if you guys answer God. And that's all the guilt throwing that I'll do. Because I believe that God wants this to happen in your lives. And I believe incredible things can happen through it. So that's how simple this is. I'm just asking you guys to start hanging out with each other more and calling it a small group so that we can be people that pray with each other, 
so that we can be a people that are not in isolation, but we're together in community. I'm gonna pray for us now, then we're gonna have a baptism. So get excited, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your message of community in the Bible. We thank you that you didn't leave us out here to dry, but you set us up with people that have a common goal in mind, the goal of following you, the goal of surviving this life together and reaching eternity with you. So God, we pray right now, I pray right now, God, that you would speak to us. And if we're finding ourselves in a place of isolation, God, let this be the day that we reach out. God, if we're finding ourselves in need for community in need for spiritual growth, God, let this be the day we reach out. And God, I know some of us have been coming to Discovery a long time and we're not doing anything. God, it's time for us to step up and have some ministry in our lives. We may have been a Christian for years and years and years, but we've not done anything. God, I pray that you would show us we can have a ministry as leading or hosting a small group. So this morning, I pray that our people across the board would be joining small groups, We'll be hosting small groups and leading small groups and that you would use that, God, for your love to be shown in our lives, for your goal, your clarity to be spoken for us, for us to have stability, for us to have the sympathy together that we need so that we can follow you in strength. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.